good evening. This evening we are going to continue our study through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament. And I have been informed that because you all gained an hour of sleep last night, I can preach for an hour and a half tonight and nobody will care. And I'm sure that will, that will just create an overwhelmingly delighted response in all of you if I did that. But seriously, I want to have you turn with me tonight to the Gospel of Luke in the 10th chapter. We're going to look at a section of Luke this evening that is not a big section. It's actually just a short section at the end of chapter 10. It's the last four verses. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into their home, into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. The Lord answered, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now this is a passage of scripture that's well known, it's familiar most likely to most of you who are listening tonight. It is a scene that includes a family and their guests. The guests happen to be the Lord and his group of traveling followers, the disciples, perhaps others that are with them. It is a scene that includes the hostess, one woman serving, and her sister, who perhaps had helped, but had stopped helping and had become so uh, taken by what the Lord is saying that she goes in and is raptly listening to him. This passage includes serving, but it's not all about serving. The Lord in this passage puts serving in a secondary position. But this passage is not teaching us against serving the Lord. This passage is going to impress upon us the importance of our relationship with the Lord. He wants us <clears throat> to nurture our relationship with him more than our functional service. Both are going to have their place as long as they're in the right priority. Relationship first and then service. <coughs> but before we look at the details of this passage, I want to say something about the section of the book of Luke that we are, that we are in. Beginning back in chapter 9 and verse 51, and if you will look at that, uh, with me. It says, When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. In many of our Bibles, our editors have labeled this section uh, with uh, some kind of a section like the journey to Jerusalem uh, or the road to Jerusalem, the path to the cross, some of those kinds of editorial labels in our Bibles. But I want us to look through this section very quickly uh, so that we have a grasp of what this section is in the book of Luke because we're going to be spending many months in this section as we go along uh, through these chapters. 
there are only a few places actually mentioned in this section. It is not primarily a travelogue so that we can keep track of and put pins on the map and dots on the map of all the places where Jesus went. In chapter 9, in verse 52, it says that Jesus went through Samaria. In chapter 10, here we are in verse 38 tonight, and this is at the home of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus, which is in Bethany, very close to Jerusalem. In chapter 13, verse 22, it says that Jesus went from city to village on his way to Jerusalem. In verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 11, it also says that he was on the way to Jerusalem and passing between Samaria and Galilee. This is very possibly the last trip that Jesus made back to his home area to spend some time with family for a last preaching opportunity in the Galilee area. And then he would make his way for the last time in his earthly ministry to Jerusalem. He would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so this section is basically the last six months of his ministry. In chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, he took the 12 aside and he began to explain to them in great detail that they were going to go up to Jerusalem and he was going to be mocked, he was going to be scourged, he was going to be killed, and then he was going to be resurrected from the dead. This is a, a theme that we find throughout the Gospels. He let his men know what was going to happen. In chapter 18, verse 35, as they got closer to Jerusalem, it says they were approaching the city of Jericho, which is down in the Jordan Valley, uh, just east of Jerusalem. In chapter 19, verse 1, they entered Jericho. And in, by the time chapter 19 comes along, and verse 29, we find them here again near Jerusalem at Bethany and at Bethphage. Then the Lord will finally enter into the city of Jerusalem for the last week of his ministry, beginning with what we call the triumphal entry in chapter 19 and verse 41. So the section of Luke does talk about some of his travels, but it is not primarily about Jesus making a beeline from one place to another. He did not go straight from Galilee to Jerusalem in one straight line trip. This actually is a section telling us that he traveled to many, many places around Israel, still teaching and preaching. His end goal, however, was constantly set upon Jerusalem. He knew that he had an appointment with his father, an appointment with his father's will, an appointment to keep in Jerusalem. And he was steadfastly determined throughout this entire time that he would be in Jerusalem by the Passover and that he would be there where his father wanted him to be. Now, I want you to notice that Christ throughout this gospel has been reminding his disciples that this is his purpose. Back in chapter 9, in verses 22 and 23, we saw this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And then he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. By telling his disciples to take up their cross, he was indicating to them 
what means by which the means by which he was going to be killed himself. In chapter 12 and verse 49 and 50, Christ said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. During this journey of the last six months of his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ had a cloud, in a sense, over his head, knowing that he was headed for Jerusalem. Chapter 17 and verse 25, in explaining what it's going to be like when the second coming occurs, he also adds this, verse 25, chapter 17, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Chapter 18, verse 31, then he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. I mentioned this passage a few minutes ago. For he, speaking of himself in the third person, he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, mistreated, spat upon, scourged, killed, and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. It's pretty amazing to us to think about these men hearing something stated in such plain language, and yet they had no comprehension of it. Their eyes were darkened to the reality of why Jesus was there and of where he was headed and why he was headed to Jerusalem. They're constantly thinking, it's time for the kingdom, it's time for the kingdom. Christ is thinking, it's time for the cross. It's time for the cross. And so we're in a section of Luke that, that Luke puts here in his gospel that is not going to be oriented primarily toward his travel and his record of his travels, nor is it an emphasis upon his miracles. There are actually very little emphasis upon his miracles in this section. What it is, is an emphasis upon the teaching of Christ. This is a passage in which, uh, a section of Luke, in which we find a great deal of teaching. He's teaching them to warn them about the false teaching and the legalism of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and others. He's teaching them about more about discipleship. He's teaching them about service. He's teaching them about his purpose. He's teaching them about end times. As, as one, uh, one man said, these are his students throughout six months. They are primarily the apostles here that are his students. And this is their final semester in preparation for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is their final preparation for a lifetime of ministry. And I'm building something up here to a context that will help us look at the passage in mind this evening. So just bear with me as we finish this up. The teaching that dominates this section of Luke was the focus of the last six months of Christ's ministry. The emphasis is on his teaching in Luke's gospel. So then, why does he give us this account about a lady and her sister and them hosting a dinner gathering for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
why this section, why this story in this place. It's interesting as we consider Luke chapter 10 and verses 38 through 42, this is an account that is not given to us in any of the other Gospels. And in the broad scheme of things, it does not seem like an earth-shaking event, two sisters having a disagreement at home. I, I guess I'd have to say there's probably no news in that. This is a seemingly insignificant event. There's no miracle here. There's no profound teaching even uh, recorded. In fact, we don't even know what Christ was teaching that night. Not one word of what he said in that home other than his conversation with Martha. And yet, in this little section of four verses, there is actually a very profound life lesson for each and every one of us. There is something here that you and I need to consider. This story, this account of this conversation between Martha and the Lord occurs at the beginning of his section on the teaching ministry of Christ in the last six months of his life, of his earthly life, of his earthly ministry. In the middle of this brief account, he gives us the example of an excellent listener. Luke is telling us he wants us to learn to listen to what Christ has to say in this section of his gospel. So it's interesting that Luke does not give us the time of when this conversation took place. We don't know which visit to the area around Jerusalem in, in which this occurred because the timing is not the important point. What is emphasized here in this passage of Scripture, by the time we read through it, we have the mental image of two different women. One woman busy in the kitchen, scurrying about, doing what she can to get meal, a meal together for a large group of people. The other woman is sitting down at the very feet of the Lord Jesus, listening intently to every word that he says. The scene is a little village on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. <clears throat> we don't know how big the house was. We don't know how it was laid out. But it doesn't contribute to the story to know much more about that. We know that it was sometime in the last six months of Christ's earthly ministry. So let me read again these four verses from Luke chapter 10. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. As I said before, there's no complicated theological language in this little story. The account is short. The account is simple. The account is very clear. There's no complicated logical process. There's nothing that we have to stop and try to figure out in some great depth. 
It is a brief account of a situation that occurred in a dinner setting in a private home. And in a sense, we have something here that is, has a, carries, I think, a great deal of irony. Uh, many times you see um, a, a sense of humor in the New Testament scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ brought that out at different times. And, and here's the irony, I think, of this situation. The Lord Jesus Christ has been trying for a long time to, to drill it into the heads of these disciples. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. This is something they obviously didn't get, especially in the last six months of his ministry, because the closer he gets to Jerusalem and the closer he gets to the cross, the more the disciples are going to argue about which one of them is going to have the chief seat in the kingdom, which one of them is going to be promoted to the highest position. Even on the last night of his life, we're all familiar with the account in the Gospel of John where Christ taught them how to serve by serving them and washing their feet. So even though he, in Luke chapter 22, is going to say, but it is not this way with you, but the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader must become like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And of course, that familiar passage in Mark chapter 10 but it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, even though he certainly was worthy of it. He came to serve." So it's, it's very ironic that we have here a, a story where one woman is serving diligently. She's serving with great effort. She's serving a large crowd. And yet, ironically, the Lord tells her she's missing the point. She is missing the point. So the Lord does want us to serve him. But we have to have our priorities in the right place. After trying to pound it into the heads of these men who are sitting there, he ironically has to tell a woman who is serving and setting a good example for them of service, he has to tell her that she's missing the point that her sister got. So we find Jesus correcting her. I want you to think just about a few things here with me this evening. I'm just going to give you a couple of categories. And the first category is the generosity of her service. I want you to notice the generosity of her service. I, I don't think we should minimize the significance of what Martha is doing here. Martha had invited Jesus to her home, it says in the text, to her home at the end of verse 38. She had invited Jesus and no doubt the 12 disciples and perhaps a good-sized group along with them. We don't know how many it is. There were times when this group was a large group. But she invites them into her home. It may have been the first time that Jesus met with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We don't know for sure, but verse 38 sounds a little bit uh, distant. A woman named Martha uh, as if it may be the first time 
that these people have met with Christ. Now, the word Martha is a name from Aramaic, and it means the mistress of the house. She's not the master of the house. She's the mistress of the house. And the fact that her husband is nowhere mentioned would indicate the possibility that she may have been a widow. She is also most likely the oldest of these three that are mentioned because whenever we see Martha and Mary, uh, it's first Martha who is mentioned. The fact that it is her house in which the three siblings live would also indicate the the likelihood of her being the oldest. We don't know how long Martha had been a follower of the Lord. Perhaps she was a very recent convert. Perhaps she had heard uh, earlier John the Baptist preach and had uh, been ready to trust the Lord when he came along. We don't know. The, the account is not given. But by this time, we know that she has become a convert because she not only invites the Lord to stay in her home, but he calls, she calls him Lord in verse 40. This is not a word that a Jewish person would have used if he was simply a rabbi. She understands that he is more than a rabbi. He is the Lord, the kurios, the Lord that she is talking to. It says that she welcomed him into her home. This is not just a a common word to receive, but a word that's emphasized that shows a, a very a warm welcome. This was a welcome to embrace and to be willing to entertain someone as a guest. She was happy to have him in her home. She was excited to have Jesus and the disciples there in her home for dinner. And in a typical Middle Eastern custom, the hostess, the host or hostess, would want to provide a meal for her guests. Uh, if, if you know that people are coming to your home for a holiday or for a weekend or for a visit or you invite somebody to come over, one of the first things you think of is, what are we going to have? What are we going to do for food? Even if you invite somebody over for, to watch a football game, you usually have the question, what are we going to do about food? So food is so much a part of, of hospitality that this woman no doubt wanted to provide a nice meal for her guests. Now, we're not told any details. We could spend some time thinking about that. Uh, Let me just throw a couple ideas out for you to just build the mental picture of what's going on here. In most of the homes, the living area was also the dining area, and for many families, it was also the sleeping quarters. They would roll up their mats in the morning and tuck them in the corner, and then in the evening they would roll their mats out on the floor, and there they would sleep. And in many homes, all these activities went on in one, maybe two rooms. In some rooms, or some homes, there might be a, a kitchen in one corner of that room, or it might be outside in a patio area. Remember, the climate uh, is fairly mild. They, they would get chilly in the winter, but uh, they would often have a kitchen that was in a little patio area outside of the home. So perhaps the Lord and his, guest, and, and his friends are there in the living room, kind of crowded in, and um, the conversation is going on. Perhaps Martha can overhear some of the conversation. Uh, we don't know uh, how it is. But because she has invited these guests, she's not primarily a part of the conversation. 
She is separated from it to some extent. She is thinking about unleavened bread or some kind of bread to put out on the table. Perhaps she's cutting up vegetables or perhaps she's cooking something in a, in a pot. Perhaps she has a fire going and, and perhaps she is getting out uh, some olives out of a crock full of olives preserved from uh, the year. Perhaps she's getting out some figs, some nuts, putting out bowls and getting food ready for this group. She, whatever it is, there is much going on because she's pretty worked up about it. Verse 40 says, Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. She's kind of working herself into a frazzle. Now, we don't know what all the family dynamics were here, but uh, while uh, Mary is in the other room listening to the conversation, Martha is preoccupied. So we have the generosity of her service, but we also have her preoccupation with her service. She is scurrying about, um, who knows, maybe she's getting out uh, certain uh, utensils or certain dishes to, to use that she saves for the guests. And some of you go through that process when you have people over. Maybe you get out the good china, the, the good silver, the certain this and the certain that. And, and uh, you know, you, you have many things going on at one time. No doubt. That's what was going on here. Martha is scurrying about. She's very busy. It appears that Mary had been helping her, but stopped helping and had gone in. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord. Mary's completely oblivious of the need to get up and get involved in finishing the preparations for this meal. Martha is looking across the room. Perhaps she's shooting daggers from her eyes at Mary. Perhaps she's hoping Mary will look over so that she can get her attention and wave to her. Come on, we got work to do. We got, we got more things to do. We're never going to get this meal on the table if you don't get up here and help me. And so Martha is, is getting agitated. She's getting irritated. She's getting frustrated. She's getting all of these wonderful words that we have so that we can avoid saying the word angry. I think she was probably getting angry with her sister. She is focused on the task. She has evidently forgotten about the guest. She's focused on the task and has forgotten who her guest is. So we have a deteriorating attitude in her service. This attitude is evident when she approaches the Lord and appeals to the Lord to intervene on her behalf and straighten her sister out. Notice in verse 40, she came up to him, to the Lord. He's teaching. She's interrupting. She comes up to the Lord and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. So we don't know what the personalities are. We don't know what the relationship is. We don't know what the communication is between these two ladies. But instead of coming over and tapping her sister on the shoulder and whispering in her ear, can you please come and help me? She makes a deal out of it. She draws it to everybody's attention by interrupting the Lord in his teaching and, and appealing to him out loud, Lord, don't you care that my sister is making me do all the work? Her attitude is stinks, to be honest. 
Her attitude has really deteriorated in this. She has drawn near to the Lord, but she hasn't come near to the Lord to listen. She has come near to the Lord to complain. She has come near to the Lord to draw attention to the fact that she needs help, that she's doing a lot of work, that there's work to be done. And she asks the Lord to send Mary away from his feet to go and serve with Martha. She draws near to ask for her sister to be taken away from the Lord. Martha has the attitude that getting food on the table for this crowd is the most important thing of the day. Making sure that the meal is all ready is the consuming priority of Martha's life at this moment. And I think right there, you and I have to confess that we are often in that frame of mind. We are focused on some task. We are working on some project. We're working on something, whether it's at work, in the workplace, whether it's at home, whether it's somewhere else, we, we get focused on things in this world, in this life, and we let our attitudes deteriorate. We get all hot and bothered. We get irritated with the people around us because things aren't going the way we expect, and they're not fit, pitching in the way we expect them to, even though it might be in the middle of some serving of the Lord. I mean, it might be at church for a work party. We might be painting a room together. We might be setting up chairs together. We might be preparing a fellowship meal together, but we get agitated with other people sometimes because they don't meet our expectations and they're not focused on the project like we are focused on the project. We're serving. We are serving. We're serving with gusto. We're serving with zeal. We're serving with effort. But we may be serving with the wrong attitude. We may have put our service before our relationships, especially our relationship with the Lord. Now, Martha is not, a, is not an evil, wicked person here. She is, she, she's hosting the Lord, and she has opened her home. She's not the enemy here, one writer said. She is a lover of the Lord. She has come to know the Lord. She believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, but in this particular case, she misses a great opportunity. As important as it is to serve the Lord, it is not right to put service before the Lord. It is not right for us to put ministry for the Lord before the Lord himself. And so her attitude in her service has deteriorated. And then I want us to notice the contrast with her sister. The contrast with her sister. She had a sister called Mary, according to verse 39, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Now, as you read the New Testament, you're well aware of the fact that Mary was a common Jewish name in the New Testament era. Um, it, I don't know that I would have chosen to name uh, my daughter Mary, because the word Mary comes from the root of a word that means bitterness. Bitterness. It's what Naomi said about her life. Don't call me Naomi. When she came back to Bethlehem and people said, oh, there's Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter. 
My life has been bitter. Uh, evidently, she wasn't an optimist. Her life was bitter. Now, we don't know the differences between these two sisters. We don't know their personalities. We don't know what their typical behaviors and characteristics would have been or were. Uh, I don't think we have to assume that Mary never lifted a finger or anything like that because she does. Martha does say in verse 40 that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. I think that means that Mary had been helping her do some of the serving, but she had stopped helping and started paying close attention to the Lord's teaching. No matter what the usual function of the home was, no matter what the personality differences are, in this case we find Mary sitting as close to the Lord as she could get, and she is soaking in his every word. She is so close to the Lord that verse 39 uses the phrase, she was seated at the Lord's feet. Seated at the Lord's feet. He, she was sitting right where he was teaching. That is, it is well known that teachers of the day kept those spots close to him for his favorite students. We read that Paul sat at the feet of a teacher named Gamaliel, Saul of Tarsus, a, a prize student, a prime student, head of the class, so to speak. Mary has put herself in a posture here of being able to hear everything the Lord has to say. But I want you to know that in the culture of her day, it would have been very rare for a woman to be sitting that close to a rabbi. When the, when the Jewish rabbis taught, the women were at the back. The women were out at the side of the room, and the men were close. In fact, some rabbis looked down upon women so badly that they would not, they, they did not even think a woman was worthy to be taught. So rotten was their attitude toward women. No Jewish rabbi of that day would have allowed a woman to sit at his feet. Oh, how wrong those rabbis were. Oh, how wrong those rabbis were not to give the word of God to every person, to everyone who would listen. Praise God for women who love the word of God, for women who seek the word of God, for women who want to sit at the feet of Jesus, as it were, and be taught God's word. Jesus Christ allowed this woman to come and sit at his feet. And, you know, let me just make a comment about the culture of our day, because we live in a day and a time in which we hear a great deal about women's place and position in society. And, and, and certainly there is, there's no society that is perfect, and we certainly do not live in a perfect world. And, and a great many uh, women have difficult circumstances to deal with and are treated unfairly. But I, but I want to say this. We, we live in a day and an age in which there is a very specific cultural movement of secular feminism in our world, and, and the attitude that you read about and that you hear from women who are secular feminists is that they want to do away with all of the repressive teaching of the Bible, and they look at the Bible and Christianity as if it's the cause of all the problems that women have faced. 
And I will admit, we have to admit from history, that there have been many things done in the name of Christ that were, that were wrong, that were horrible, that were sin, that were wretched, that were wicked, that were evil. But if we are honest in looking at the Scriptures and the influence of the Bible in history, we have to confess that it is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the attitudes of the Lord Jesus Christ that he conveyed to the disciples that were poured out in the New Testament church that have given women one of the rare opportunities in history to have the equalities that they have today. Women have been, benef have been benefiting from the influence of the New Testament ever since it was written, ever since Christ walked upon the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ opened the door so that women in the church could be joint heirs with Jesus Christ, co-heirs. The walls of partition between Gentile and Jew and between men and women were broken down in Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament. And so here we have a glimpse at that love that Jesus Christ has for all people, both men and women. Jesus Christ expresses the grace of God to show the world the importance of every soul. He allowed Mary to sit among the men. He allowed Mary to sit at his feet. And then he commends her highly for it. He commends what she has done. He never scolds Mary for coming too close, for being presumptuous. He commends Mary because here is Mary listening intently to every word that Jesus is saying. And I don't know exactly how the whole scenario developed, but I, you can almost imagine the two ladies are working there in the kitchen and, and Martha carries a couple of things from like maybe the preparation area over to where they're going to have the men eat. And, and, and as she's carrying, she's, she's kind of looking over and listening to what Jesus says. And you can almost imagine her putting down a, a dish and, and moving closer and moving closer and perhaps working her way up and sitting right down at his feet. Or perhaps, we don't know this, but perhaps Mary and Martha have made preparations knowing that they have invited Christ to come and he's going to be there. Maybe they've made their preparations, but maybe when Jesus got there and started to teach, maybe Mary went right over and sat down at his feet. And she had left the previous preparations to go and sit at his feet. We don't know exactly how this came about, but when it says that she was listening, it is a verb in the New Testament that shows ongoing action. She is listening, listening, listening. She doesn't care anymore about the meal that's being prepared because she is feasting on the truth that is coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. She doesn't care if the drinks are being poured and the beverages are ready because she is drinking at the fountain of life, hearing the very words of God flowing from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. She doesn't care about the meal because she is with the Lord. She doesn't care about serving because she is with her Savior. This is the kind of an attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ commends throughout his ministry. Back in Luke chapter 8, we read that uh, 
Jesus' mother and his brothers and sisters had come to visit him, and someone came into the busy the room where he was busy with miracles and teaching and said, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus said, my mothers and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. These who hear the word of God and do it. This is my family. Jesus commends those who listen. And Mary recognized an opportunity. She seized that opportunity that was given to her. The Savior had come to her home, and she wanted to get every word that he spoke. Martha, endeavoring to be the host and the best hostess that she could, missed the main point. So it is not that serving is not important. Serving is important. But serving at the expense of our Savior, of time with our Savior, of listening to our Savior, of learning from our Savior, that kind of service is empty and, need, and, and useless. Jesus' rebuke to Mary is... It's not unkind, but it's very direct. Martha, Martha, in verse 41, you are worried and you are bothered about so many things. But just one thing is necessary. Why don't you just come in here and sit down and listen with us? There are more important things in life than food. I know some of you might want to argue about that, but it's true. There are more important things in life than food. Life is not all about the, the needs of this life. Life is about eternity. Life is about choosing the right priorities at the right time. And while it's important to serve the Lord throughout this life, it should never be at the expense of our walk with God. God does not want us serving Him unless we have spent time with Him. God wants our service to be worship, active worship for Him as we walk with him. I'm reminded of the heart of David expressed in Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, one thing shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. I want to have time with the Lord, to meditate, to behold the beauty of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul expressed it this way, Behold, I do not my regard, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting that which lies behind and reaching forward to that which lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He did not want to lose focus on the Lord and on what God had for him in Christ. So, my friend, that brief account, this little narrative, is setting the tone for how we're going to approach all of these chapters in this section of Luke. The Lord is, uh, Luke is going to record for us the Lord's teaching on a great many things, and he's asking us, before we look at this whole section, he's asking us, are you like Martha, or are you like Mary? Are you going to be a Martha as I share with you all of these teachings of our Lord? Or are you going to be Mary? Are you going to be busy about many things? 
Or are you going to come and sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus as we consider the things that he taught in those pressing last six months of his earthly ministry as he intensified the teaching and the training of his followers? Are we going to be like Mary and come close to his feet? Are we going to get as close as we can? Are we going to be intently listening? (coughs) Are we going to open our Bible and ask God to teach us by his Spirit? Are we going to open our Bible and submit to its authority? Are we going to open our Bible and get alone with God and have God teach us from his word? Are we going to sit quietly and listen as we read the words of God and let the Spirit of God be our teacher? Are we going to draw near to the Lord as James talks in, verse, in chapter 4? Is it four or five? I forget. Draw near to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. It's chapter 4, verse 8, I believe. Our work is to draw near. Our work is to sit, to learn, to listen, to understand the word of God. My friend, this week, I'm not discouraging you from serving the Lord from going about those tasks that are necessary in life. But let's not be like Martha and just do the work. Let's listen and learn from the Lord so that our work and our service will will be a reflection of the relationship that we have, of the love that we have, of the adoration that we have for our Lord Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, this is such a, a brief paragraph, such a simple story, and yet, Father, there is profound depth in the simplicity. Are we like Martha, or are we like Mary? And Father, I confess that in the busyness of life, in the Uh, craziness sometimes of schedules and of events and of meetings and of ministry and and all of the things we get going father we end up scurrying about as very busy little ants down here on this planet and we don't take the time to sit and learn at the feet of the lord jesus like we should father help us I pray that you would work in us by your spirit, both to will and to do, of your good pleasure, that we might be listeners and learners who will go out and do what you teach us to do. We thank you and praise you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Next week, we will jump into chapter 11 and start uh, working through chapter 11. So please read ahead and, and be studying that. God bless you and have a great week.